1: Oh, Mickey can't wait to get into this edition of Mix Shots. Everson Walls, let me tell you, we're going to have to dive right in because, as you know, it is Super Bowl week. And Mickey sent me an email yesterday that has that goes. It, it was basically two emails in one. It's got so many topics. He wants to talk about whether it's Super Bowl, whether it's quarterbacks being traded in this league, no matter whether it's Missouri basketball. No, he won't get to, into Missouri. No, nah, we're not
2: getting into Missouri basketball. No, <laughs> no.
1: But, uh, and so Mickey Mickey wants the floor to start off, okay, Everson? But let's give you the floor first because Mickey doesn't have the floor right now. Mickey, uh, my, Everson, my, what's my on your platform? Mind? Yes. My
2: platform today. First of all, welcome to Black History Month, guys. There, there you go. go. Very good. So glad to have you here. I was going to take over the show. And I think Spags knew that. That's why he sent you that list of <laughs> subjects and didn't send me Jack. I don't even know what the heck we're going to talk about today. But I do know I want to welcome you guys to Black History Month. Every show this month, I'm going to have a uh, uh, there you go, a, a, a Black something on. Even if it's just me, it's going to be Black something. So that's how that's uh, what hey, we're going to deal. With. You can't see me, that's ever how we're seen, gonna but I got it. So a black pullover pull on, me. guys.
1: Take it All away, uh, Spags. Uh, do your thing, brother. Yeah. Everson, you can't see me, but I've got a black pullover on today. So oh, nice. Welcome right. to the I'll, club. I'll wear it. I'll wear it every show this month and even beyond this month. Just all right, the color Mickey? black. That's so all my, I need. my blue doesn't black. count, all right. right? I needed to be in black today. Blue does not count.
2: It's, there is There are some blue-black people in this world, but no, your blue does not count.
1: <laughs> and there's some black and blue people in this world, too. There you go. Right.
0: And I can think of about... All right, Mickey. Yes. We're, <laughs> yeah, well, where do you want to start? Well, you had a couple of topics too, so we got a lot of ground to cover, right? Yes, exactly right. Uh, and
1: um, all right, let's. Uh, how about we start with uh, the news of the day yesterday? Get it out of the way to start with, because everything else yes. is kind of Super Bowl and NFL related. But uh, Jason Witten has landed a new job, and how many are surprised that it? Uh, We aren't surprised. I'm not surprised it is a a coaching job, and I'm not surprised that it's at the high school level, too, at Liberty Christian uh, School in Argyle, which is located north of Fort Worth uh, in Denton County, I think. Uh, So it's right here in the Metroplex for those of you who don't live uh, in North Texas. And uh, his kids, his four kids, uh, all go to school there. I don't know if the youngest is old enough to go to school yet, but. Uh, I think uh, the oldest boy is in 7th or 8th grade. 8th. And uh, so he's the varsity head football coach. 8th grade? Yes. Uh, And he's the varsity head football coach at Liberty Christian. So congratulations to him to start things off.
0: Liberty Christian is about, mm, I'm going to say, five miles or so from where I live. And I'll tell you what, for a private school... They've got some of the nicest facilities that I think I've, I've seen at a school of that size. So uh, there's some money in that school, believe me. And they used, mm-hmm. to, be, they used to be really good in, in, in the taps. Um, they've fallen off these last couple of years, uh, but they used to be Well, really they're about uh, to get good again. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? And I think most people on this miss the boat on, well, why would he want to coach in high school? Well, why not? Number one, that's where his kids are. Number two, I'm thinking if you're a high school coach, you have more effect on young people than you would in the NFL or even in college at these days, right? Uh, next, uh, now I, he he doesn't have to recruit. You go to college, you spend the whole year recruiting. Now, he may recruit at a private school. I I'm I'm not going to dismiss that possibility. <laughs> yeah, I'm recruiting. pretty
2: sure they recruit at private schools, bad. Right. Let's, but let's just his, unveil that
0: right now. His name, uh, his name will way, do Mickey. all he, he the
1: recruiting not. he needs. There exactly. you go. He won't there have to go. do any recruiting. His name will recruit for him.
0: And and then <laughs> and then, you know, you coach in college, boy. That that's a long haul year for you. And in the NFL, Does he want to show up at 6 or 7 in the morning and work till 10 at night as an assistant uh, tight ends coach? I don't think so. Uh, So I think he's gone to where kind of his family roots are. His grandfather was a uh, a head high school coach. Uh, His brother's a high school head coach. And I just think it's a natural thing. If you're going to have a family and you have four kids that are that young... Probably want to be around him because you probably weren't around him as much as you wanted to when you were playing. I just think it's a perfect fit.
2: I agree, Spass. Uh That's one of the things that we talked about. You recall when we first, uh, you know, contemplated Whitten leaving uh, the NFL. We talked about Tennessee, like him going back to the University of Tennessee. I never thought that would be a good fit for him. I think I I even expressed it at the time that you guys brought it up. Uh, You know, it's tough, like you said, moving the kids, moving the family from, from a place in Dallas where you have been for a long time and where you've made your name, why not stay in this area? And once again, Spags, you did all this playing. You did all, I mean, 17, 18 years. Then you end up going to Vegas You know, just trying to squeeze out one more year to see what that team could do, what kind of promise they would have, and you know that's enough. I'm sure his wife and his family were—they were very grateful to to know that he was not going to leave the state of Texas, because I think as far as his family is concerned, they don't know much about Tennessee. I know they have—I'm sure—family there. You know, he's got his legacy there in regards to college, but when it comes to his professional career. This is where Jason Wooden has made his home, and this is where his family is feeling comfortable. His name will bring in as much notoriety to Liberty University or Liberty High School that he can. It's going to be a, an amazing. Uh, like I said, why leave the area? I think he can influence so many high school kids much more than he could some college kids.
1: And, uh, and let me throw in a couple of other things on this, and we'll move on to, uh, to uh, what's on Mickey's long list here. Uh, um, Sean Payton when he had his exile under suspension from the New Orleans Saints. His kids went to Liberty Christian here in Argyle, and he was a volunteer coach during that season. While the NFL season was going on, that is where Sean Payton uh, spent his time during that season with his kids. He was helping coach the football team that year. Uh, And the other thing is, Keep in mind Doug Peterson and his resume after playing in the National Football League. uh, He retired at age 37. He went back home to Shreveport, Louisiana, and it was an upstart uh, private school, Calvary Baptist Academy. He was the head coach there right after retiring from the NFL for four years. Did that for four years and uh, then was hired by Andy Reid as an assistant coach uh, in 09 with the Eagles, followed him to Kansas City, and by 2015 he was a head coach in the National Football League. And and a couple of years later he wins the Super Bowl as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. So just because Jason Witten is coaching at the high school level right now, you know, a few years from now we'll see, it doesn't rule out. In fact, it it can be a perfect uh, situation for him to, from a family standpoint and stay in coaching and even even if it's at the high school level there are things you are learning to do as a coach and managing people uh, that will prepare him for any uh, head coaching jobs at a higher
0: level that he might want to pursue in the future. Alright, yeah, and, and where do you and want and to Bill, go to on your Bill, list? I was going to also yep. add, you know, there's been a couple other former Cowboy players go into high school coaching. Uh, George Teague is still yep. doing it, right? Um Yep. George is more like an athletic director right. at JP, 2 Right. And then, you know, Bill Bates did it also yeah. in Florida when he went back uh, in Jacksonville. As a matter of fact, yep. his, uh, he wasn't the head coach, but he, he was a coach there when Tim Tebow was at his high school, by the way.
1: Yep, That's true. That's very
2: true, Spags. I happen to know a little bit about that. Let's not forget about Deion Sanders, guys, uh, coaching his own son at his high school. Uh, Now he's at Jackson State, and and he's doing... That's going to be amazing uh, for the SWAC, for the Southwestern Athletic Conference. But let's just be real. Deion ain't trying to stay at Jackson State. (laughs) We know where Deion wants to go. So let's just be real about that. But I do appreciate him for the, the time that he's going to spend at the HBCUs, because the SWAC and all HBCUs could clearly use that type of influence, that type of notoriety to help bring a little bit more, you know, a little bit more money and, and exposure to uh, the HBCUs.
1: Yeah, and and the timing of that, he waited. You know, he uh, his kids are now college age, and and uh, so he got a his son room. is going to play for him at Jackson yeah, yeah. State. And then, and then when the Florida State job opens, he'll follow him to Florida State? Is that the idea?
2: I believe yeah. that is. I believe that is.
0: If Florida State, I believe wants, that his, is. If Florida State wants his son, right? Deanna <laughs> be honest, it's a package deal. It's a package, package deal. This, this is the reverse right. package deal, right? <laughs> the son gets, and, signs and, and brings
1: dad along. And by the way, another... Mm-hmm. Another recent Cowboys player, John Kitna, is coaching at the high school ranks. Uh, he's now at Burleson uh, Centennial and coached his son, who, by the way, is going to the University of Florida, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, to play quarterback. Uh, so, anyway, there's, and he's got about four sons that are all athletes. Uh, nice. Got more coming up in the ranks there. All right, all right, so Mickey. Bill, you know, let's, let's turn let's our do attention this. Yeah, to your do, list.
0: Let's do this. Let's let's. Uh kind of talk about the uh, big trade, the quarterback shuffle uh, with uh, wow. Matthew Stafford going to the Rams and and Goff going to the Lions uh, in that trade. Uh, anybody surprised by that? Uh, I think the only thing I was surprised is how much Detroit got wow. for trading Matthew Stafford. Not only a starting quarterback, but two first-round picks and a third-round pick does that let you know just how disappointed
2: the coaches were in Jared Goff playing with the Rams? I mean, even though he tried his best to go in that playoff game, you know, he was a little bit hobbled with the thumb on his, on his throwing hand, I think it's clear that the playoff game had nothing to do with them releasing or at least trading for Matthew Stafford because Jared Goff at one point During the season, I'd say about halfway during the season, the Rams were looking good. They were the favorites to win the NFC, even over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they were even talking about how this team's offense was doing as just as efficient as Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So early on, even after they signed Jared Goff to a big contract, if I'm not mistaken, and then for him to lose favor like that, to me, it's I'm not surprised that they got rid of him, but that it not only did they give up a lot. I'm also surprised that they that they would get rid of him so soon. It was just last year. They, they showed this guy up, you know, with some good money, thinking that this was going to be the favorites to go to the Super Bowl with the coach being an amazing coach, having every resurgence as a player. All of a sudden, he's out just like that with this amazing, amazing defense that he has to play alongside with. He was clearly a disappointment, and I'm sure somebody like Dak Prescott, what do you think Dak Prescott's thinking right now?
0: Well, I'll tell you. you, What what do you think he's saying? Well, I'll tell you what the Cowboys are thinking, and, and, and this is what people out there, I wrote about it on Friday. You know, it's like, well, why haven't the Cowboys signed Dak? Just sign him. You know he deserves the money. The Cowboys know he deserves the money, but these quarterback deals are are really fickle sometimes, right? And they're tedious. And you better be right, and not only right, but you got to structure it right too, because there was a cost to both teams to do this switcheroo. If if you look at uh, the the ramifications of, of the salary cap. Now I understand that. The, um, the Rams wanted to dump salary cap money, uh, and, but they also uh, inherited uh, salary cap uh, structure uh, by, by, by releasing uh, Jared Goff at such an er- early time. They incurred to do this. Now, now, I had gone back and looked. If they had just released Jared Goff, they would have incurred $65 million in dead money as it stands because they traded them and so they got rid of some of the guaranteed base salaries they incurred twenty two point two million in dead money and by trading for for stafford they inherited his contract now this can be reworked and they've got time because none of this is official to march seventeenth but they also if they just inherit his contract for the next two years it's $19 million in base money. So that means almost $42 million they stuffed into a salary cap that they don't have room for. So they're going to have to work on doing either uh, a rework contract or signing him to an extension, which is going to put more money uh, into their salary cap. And the same thing for Detroit. They suffered... 19 million dollars in uh dead money now his his cap number was 33 million this year stafford's was so they they saved a little bit money there but they also have 19 million in dead money so i know when teams say well we saved this and this i don't care what you saved you just spent 19 million dollars to unload uh your quarterback for a quarterback that the Rams didn't want anymore. So I don't know how you guys look at this, but the Rams, uh, assuming that nothing changes what what Stafford's contract, they're going to be $30 million over the cap. And they've got to start doing some cutting before March 17th. So my point is... This is why the Cowboys look at Dak's contract and go, "Okay, we got to be careful here. We can't just be cavalierly throwing around all this money because you never know what these quarterbacks uh, and and boy, it it'll you know it'll bite you if you're wrong, uh, and even if you're right, it's going to bite you somewhere else against the salary cap. So that is why this is taking so long uh, for the Cowboys to figure out. Now maybe." Anheuser-Busch has just helped the Cowboys by signing Dak to a new endorsement contract I see is being reported, right? That's got to be worth something, right? Maybe he doesn't need as much money on his football contract. So, that,
1: so that's why Anheuser-Busch is not doing any commercials at the Super Bowl. They, they had to pay Dak, they right? spent all that money on Dak.
2: <laughs> they have to save their money. They have to save their money for the future contracts. Hey, so Spags. All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. This is gonna be my wall shot right here because this is just what the NFL deserves. You know, I was a union rep. We fought for players to get all the money that they need and that you can that the 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 teams can afford to pay you. But what happened along with the union trying to make its rise up was all these smart agents who you know were drafting these quarterbacks, the Lee Steinbergs, you know, all of those guys who really start to influence the league a lot with their clients and the signings that those clients began to to receive. I think quarterbacks are extremely overrated and overhyped pretty much on every team in the NFL. Not only are they overhyped in regards to the league, I think we give them too much preference in regards to a what is supposed to be a team game. And I'm getting a little pissed off when all we hear about is okay, Super Bowl's coming up, our playoffs coming up, this matchup is coming up. Well, who's the matchup between? Oh, it's not between the Cowboys and the Washington team. No, no, it's against the quarterbacks of those teams along with the other guys. You know, to me, when you have a, a team as powerful, that's powerful enough to get into the Super Bowl or to even make it into the playoffs, you can't do it with a one-man band. You've got to have those guys stepping up for you. And we seem to, as a nation and as a narrative for this league, we seem to put so much emphasis on these quarterbacks. So, therefore, not only do they go on a uh, sometimes unwarranted leadership, Uh, unwarranted uh, uh, endorsements, unwarranted huge contracts, and you have brothers on the offensive line, defensive line, defensive backs, linebackers who are balling out. Let me say it like this. Average quarterbacks can ask for way more than they deserve just because of the position, not how good they are. So you have the emphasis on this particular person and this this position. And yet you've got these players that are balling out around you, pulling you out of the fire as many times as you have been successful. So to me, I I think we have gotten into this culture of, well, that's our leader. Hell no, that's not my... I I had quarterbacks on my team that were good. But I wouldn't call them my leader. You understand? I had guys on my defense that led me. And, and I, I think that when we, we have started with this quarterback club thing that they started back in the uh, 80s, late 80s and, and early 90s mm-hmm. to where quarterbacks are garnering and I know it's just quarterback club and you've got other positions in quarterback club. It started off with the premises of quarterbacks getting the preferential treatment on and Off the field, giving benefit of the doubt on TV, doing broadcasts all the time. Oh, well, Aaron Rodgers threw that ball away. Well, it must have been that wide receiver ran the wrong route. That's not necessarily true. So I I get kind of upset that we are changing the narrative of a team game into a popularity contest, which really sides quarterbacks to get more money than they really should be getting. And this is coming from a, a former
0: union rep. And, Bill, let me make two points before we go to break. And just talking about what Everson said, you know, I understand Tom Brady. I understand his value, right? But that Tampa defense pulled his butt out of that last championship game in the Thank conference. You. He threw three interceptions, right? Todd Bowles. Three in a Todd row. Todd Bowles. Right, exactly. And then my other point is when you got to be careful with these, these – these Quarterback contracts, look what's going on in Houston right now with Deshaun Watson. Suddenly, he's upset, and he wants out, right? Well, to cut him it, or release him now, before June 1, it would cost Houston $67 million in dead money. Do you think it's any coincidence that the new GM said, no, we don't want to get rid of him? And if they trade him, it's $21.6 million in dead money. So that's why the price for trading one of these quarterbacks, uh, you get so much back because of the money dump that's involved in this whole thing. So that has a lot to do with what's going on uh, with, with some of these trades. But you got to be careful with these quarterbacks because they get upset and then they, 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 they basically hold up the entire franchise, right? It's like, okay, i got to have my way, I want to pick the GM, I want to pick the head coach, and if you don't acquiesce to him and you give in, I'll guarantee you, and Everson knows this, the line starts out the door at the owner's office, right? (laughs) Okay, I'm next, I'm not happy, J.J. Watt, I want to go play for somebody that wins, this ain't the NBA, right? They, they, you cannot <laughs> manipulate the salary cap the way you can in the NBA. It you costs, got a lot of so personnel to deal with in football. you you are right on the quarterback and how you structure the deal.
1: Okay, so let me tease the rest of the show this way. All right. All right, we've got... Uh, big news story of the week: Jared Goff traded for Matthew Stafford. We've got Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. See that? Listen to that. What I just say? What I just say? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here, You're uh, killing me, Bill. Here's a, here's a little comparison: Jared Goff, Jared Goff against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, the Sunday shoot. before Thanksgiving completed 39 out of 51 passes for 350 yards and three touchdowns in a 27-24 Rams win that made the Rams seven and three on the season. What Everson was talking about earlier. The Rams were actually playing very well at that point of the season, okay? The next week. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs go to that same stadium at Tampa, and Patrick Mahomes was 37 out of 49 for 450 yards and three touchdowns, same as Goff, In a 27-24 Kansas City win over Tampa Bay. The exact same score as the Rams win the week before. Here we are two months later. Jared Goff is headed to Detroit. Patrick (laughs) Mahomes is headed back to Tampa for Super Bowl 55. A Super Bowl that is being called by CBS analyst Tony Romo, a generational matchup of quarterbacks. Everson, this would be like Michael Jordan against LeBron James in an NBA Finals. We've got much more to come here on Mix Shots, including a trip back to Tampa, 1991, a trip to hey. Memory Lane with Everson Walls when Mix Shots continues in a moment. Back, back, back to Mixed Shots. Looking for something to change up your dinner routine? Help support local Frisco businesses by choosing one of over 30 restaurants at the Star District. For information on delivery, takeout, curbside pickup, and dine-in options, visit thestardistrict.com. As we welcome you back here to a Mixed Shots, Bill Jones, Everson Walls. And Mickey Spagnola, getting you ready for the Super Bowl 55 matchup. It's Mahomes versus Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Ever you still there? Yeah. Let's go back. Yeah, I'm still let's, here. <laughs> let's go back in time. Mickey, to a time, oh, it was a little while ago, but it was the good old days. When we weren't talking about quarterback matchups in a Super Bowl, we were talking about Cornerback matchups in a Super Bowl
0: in Tampa 1991. Take us back in time, Mickey. Yes, absolutely. So, if my math is right, that's 30 years ago, right? Kind of an anniversary (laughs) here. It was Super Bowl 25, I believe it was, January 27th, 1991. And uh, one Everson Walls playing for the New York football Giants, went into Tampa Stadium against the Buffalo Bills in, in that Super Bowl. And, and I just kind of stumbled across this. It was a 2019 victory for the Giants. Uh, and I for some reason, I don't know what I was looking up, but I found this quote from Bill Belichick, Uh, after the game, and he would have been the Giants' defensive coordinator uh, in that game, and Belichick was quoted as saying, we wouldn't have won the game if Walls didn't make that tackle. And I was at the game, by the way. I was covering it. As a matter of fact, uh, when Scott Norwood was kicking the field goal uh, at the end to try to win it, that he missed. uh, It was right on deadline for the newspaper for the Times-Herald. And everybody else had time to go down, right, to to go do interviews. I was right on deadline and I remember standing in my seat, leaning out the window of the press box to watch this field goal to see if it was going to be good or not, right? That was my memory uh, of that game. But what, what Belichick was talking about was... Uh, with a minute 48 left in the game, Buffalo was on their 19-yard line. It was third and inches, and they tried a kind of counter handoff to Thurman Thomas, who went 22 yards and had not won Everson Walls, made the tackle uh, on that play. Thurman Thomas looks like he's going for a touchdown. They, I, from the video I saw when you see the play there is nobody behind everson walls if he doesn't make that tackle uh, and, and Belichick went on to went on to uh, say also afterwards it that was the play of the game and I think we have video of it well, we might be able to show at least uh, the tackle uh, along with uh, afterwards after Scott norwood missed the field goal uh everson walls making his celebration that ended up on the cover of sports illustrated by the way and as a matter of fact i want to show you what i got here this is the game program from that Super Bowl. And so I'm looking through it to see where's Everson Wall's picture and everything. I and do it's not like,
2: have that, man. Well, you know
0: what? I've got two of them. If, uh, if and when we ever do this that. show together again, that. right? But the weird thing was, if, if you remember, there was a week. There was only one week between the game. There was not two weeks. So everything in this program had nothing to do with either team, Playing in the game. I'm looking through it. I'm going, what the hell? Right? And then I got, I reminded myself that they won in San Francisco on a Sunday and flew all night to Tampa uh, and got in early on uh, Monday morning. So I just thought we'd ask Everson so do you remember the play the way I described it and what was going, where did you line up and what was going through your mind on that snap?
2: No, it was. Uh you know, at that time Buffalo was the greatest show on turf, right? Yeah. I mean, they were balling. They they had blown out Miami and Oakland uh in the consecutive uh uh playoff games, like fifty something to something, forty four to nothing. I mean, they were balling. I think that year we were the only ones to keep Buffalo under twenty points all season. I could be wrong about no, that in nineteen ninety. Right. Yes. But they beat us They beat us 17 to like 14 in in Jersey. And so we knew what we had uh, in store for us. So here we are, two minutes to go, basically a two-minute drill. And uh, what we had done all game long was to keep them at bay. You know, no big plays because big plays are going to kill you and they're going to kill your morale. So Belichick had us play in that fashion. The only thing that surprised me about that game was the fact that he had me calling the plays uh, the entire game, they played. we played pretty much nickel and dime the entire game, so I was back at safety, which is where I usually am on nickel and dime. So they're going no huddle on Buffalo's side. We needed someone to be in the secondary to make those calls. He chose me. I think I was the, the oldest one back there at the time. And so during that play, during that drive, the handoff was easy to see. Uh, that's the beginning of that uh, amoeba off uh, defense, right? We talk about that amoeba defense. Belichick comes up with. Well, we only had one defensive lineman in the game, so when the handoff was made, the hole was easy to make. We only had three line, three down players, only one was a D lineman, so he's coming right at me. I saw it right away, so I never took my drop to go to cover two. When I recognized what was happening. I wanted to make sure it wasn't a flea flicker, so i just go running up, but I saw where he had already crossed the line of scrimmage. I'm coming up, and according to Thurman Thomas, I talked to him like almost 10 years after this play, he said he never saw me, Spags. He said he never saw me, and, and that's one of those things about football to where you can be too smart sometimes. Uh, he didn't he didn't expect me to be there because they knew what the defense would be. We were predictable. It's a cover, too. All he's thinking is once I get by those linebackers, my eyes are going to where I can score a touchdown because the safeties are going to be half the field. Well, I wasn't half the field. I chose not to because I recognized it. And when I came up and made the play, although it was. 22 yards down the field <laughs> he covered that ground very quickly I did not know it was 22 yards Fags, he covered that ground extremely quickly, next thing you know he's on me, and I make a pretty unspectacular tackle it's just the fact that we were able to bring him down, and so I didn't know what was behind me you, you mentioned that, and Parcells was asked what would happen if Everson Walls misses that play and uh He's they asked, Well do you think Myron Guyton would have caught him? And they said, Yes, maybe in the parking lot. That's what <laughs> Parcel's response was. So he was thinking about how you would think his fans in regards to that game in, in regards to that play. So how
0: how fitting <laughs> how fitting is this, you guys, for for Everson Wall's career, you know? not recruited to college, wasn't drafted in the NFL, had to fight for everything he gets. So I I, I read about the play and I said, okay, i got to go find it. So I found the official play-by-play of the Super Bowl. And I'm, I'm going through here looking for the play. And all I was looking for was a Thurman Thomas run and an Everson Walls tackle, right? And I'm going through and going through, and the game's over. And I go, well, where's the tackle? Yep. So I looked, yep. and they credited the tackle to not 28, 58, Carl Banks. <laughs> <laughs> He's on the other side of he the field. He wasn't even in the play. I said, well, maybe he jumped in and had an assist and they gave. No, it wasn't. It was a solo diving tackle. But Everson Walls, if you ever go back in history to look for your tackle, it is not on the play-by-play sheet. I got one more thing for you,
2: Spags, uh, because you've got the official play-by-play. I think it was Dan Dierdorf Yes. was the uh, color commentator. And, you know, once again, this whole quarterback thing, there was never an emphasis on how important the tackle was during the play, because all they wanted to talk about was how Jim Kelly was in the in position to lead them down the field. So just the, the tone-deafness of some commentators can be, you know, in different ways. Dick Lynch, the former uh Dick Lynch, the, the, the great Dick Lynch, the commentator for the New York Giants, he ended up actually giving me way if you go back and listen to his broadcast of that play he literally calls it out right there he said I might have saved the game he said that right there so it's just funny how you have different commentators looking at these games but that was old school when you're talking about Bill there was no uh, Jeff Hostetler versus Jim Kelly necessarily in that game The, the hype wasn't the way it is right now and if you want to go back to, to where how the mentality was in New York MVP of our season and the MVP of that game was a running back in OJ Anderson so that's why I know I know this is that was 1991 and it is what it is today but nothing to me has changed defense still wins ball games And that's how we ended up uh, dominating that entire season. We got more cheers for an 80-yard touchdown. I'm sorry, we got more cheers for a sack on third and two and turning the ball over than we would get for an 80-yard touchdown. That's the mentality that they had In New Jersey at that time,
0: and you know, in the video, the video I saw, and I wasn't, I couldn't, I I thought it was Dan Dierdorf's voice. It might have been the the, it was pieced together, so it could have been the radio guy for the Giants at the time, but they did say a great open field tackle by Everson Walls. That's Dick Lynch. That would be Dick Lynch right. right there. That's right.
1: And then of course what what I remember from that was that Scott Norwood missed field goal okay but the 20 to 19 game and then from that season two ever since you talk about defense uh, it just here we are 30 years later and what sticks in my mind is the 15-13 win in the conference championship game Ooh, over San Francisco man. you know
0: and they kept, you talk, you know why they kept so Joe Montana built. off the field, by the way. And that was the difference in that game. Yeah, one we other, knocked him off the field yeah, by the time the game was over. Yeah. Yeah. And one other memory <laughs> from that Super Bowl covering it, it was during uh, the Gulf War, by the way. And yes, I remember you, before the game, those Black Hawk helicopters were flying over the stadium. They had cleared the airspace. They were circling the stadium and they had the side doors to the helicopter open and you could see open. you could see the guns pointing out that door. Uh, and it was yeah. like it was it, it was chilling uh, to see that and I remember the national anthem was pretty emotional also uh, that game. And the other With thing Whitney I Houston. remember yeah, is I was able to get uh, two tickets to the game. And uh, my sister brought my dad to the game, and he got to watch uh, a Super Bowl uh, in the stadium. He had failing eyesight, but he could hear it, and he could, my sister could interpret to him. And it was a pretty neat day that Sunday for me.
2: That's nice, Fags. That's good stuff right there, brother. And he got to see the Giants, well, hear <laughs> yes. and possibly see the Giants kick ass. Right. So that's that's a... That... That was a great, great day for everybody, all the way around.
0: I would say. And now we go back to <laughs> Tampa, a new stadium, uh, for this Super Bowl Fifty Five on Sunday.
1: Hey guys, we got to take a break. I don't. I, I've lost contact with Bill, you, you and so I am going to toss it to break. Bill yes, okay. Nice. I've lost contact. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, when you
2: think about it, Spags. That game, the way the security was in that game, that was the first game where we were, it, it, it depicted how we uh, had our security evolve in, the, in, in consequent games. Yeah. Long lines, you know, uh, extra security, extra wanding, and everything. I remember my family was there, came for the game, and, and my sister was sick, my mom was sick, and my, my mom decided not to come. And my sister, she braved it out and she almost fainted in line because it was hot. It was hot and it was Tampa. a long, long she line. It took a while to get in through. line, in yeah. that long line. And she was uh, she, she was able to make it in by the grace of God. <laughs> but uh, that's how much they wanted to see their baby brother kick some ass.
0: <laughs> so there's your walk down memory lane. And we'll continue with mix shots in a moment.
1: Dear, it's 1908.
2: Don't you think we should get electricity? Hmm,
1: and stop using candles to see at night. It's
2: just electricity lights up the room fast. It's more reliable than candles blowing out, and people seem to love it nationwide. Well, candles are... Dear, did you just run into the wall?
1: Nope. May I have a new candle, please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan. May not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. I'm Jay Novacek,
0: former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in the day, I was the guy who always got the tough yards. And that's why I run with John Deere today. In fact, I have a John Deere
1: 3025E tractor that can handle any yard work I need to do, even the tough yards
0: way out back. So if you have one acre or a thousand, John Deere has the equipment that's just right for you. Visit a John Deere dealer today and run with us. We are the official tractor provider of your Dallas Cowboys.
1: There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why Essilor pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Crizol for freedom from glare. Three cutting-edge
2: solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See
1: more. Do more.
0: Essilor. Back back, to Mick shots. Let formation meet all your professional needs and channel the winning business tradition of the Dallas Cowboys and the Jones family. Enjoy custom business events developed exclusively by Cowboys front office staff Exclusive amenities, and so much more. Join our community and enjoy the home field advantage of having your business address on Cowboys Way. Get more details or book a tour at formation at the star.com. All
1: right, our final 15 minutes or so of mixed shots before uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, And it is Hall of Fame Saturday coming up on Saturday. Of course, traditionally, um, in a normal Super Bowl week on Saturday, the Hall of Fame uh, committee uh, all convene on the Saturday before the game. They spend all day discussing the candidates and... uh, in person, of course, in the Super Bowl city. And then on Saturday night, on what has now turned into Super Bowl Saturday night, the Hall of Fame class is presented. Uh, but uh, late that afternoon, David Baker, the president of the Hall of Fame, will go by the the hotel rooms of the uh, finalists and inform them that they have made it into the Hall of Fame Uh I think uh, there's a 100% chance that uh, <laughs> Drew Pearson is going to go into the Hall of Fame and go to find out. Don't jinx on Saturday. it, Bill.
2: please, man. We've
1: had <laughs> enough trauma these days. <laughs> and uh, you know they they did a uh, a, a virtual uh, discussion a couple of weeks ago. There was a fan vote that ended on January 31st. And Mickey, I'm unclear on whether how much discussion they still need to do on Saturday, uh, if any. Uh, I think I I think that they went ahead and voted at the end of that discussion a couple of weeks ago, but I may be wrong. Uh, But I think uh, you know David Baker has made it a habit, even last year when he surprised Jimmy Johnson on the set at Fox, where you know he 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 wants to make the presentation to, to people. I just would not be surprised if. David Baker winds up at Drew Pearson's doorstep here in Dallas, and uh, and makes a presentation to him uh, at some point uh, later in the
0: week. Well, I would imagine it's going to be a virtual knock on the door because I can't imagine they're flying all these okay. guys into yeah. Tampa, to for starters, and they're probably uh, yeah they're not doing that yeah they'll yeah. virtually hook up. But he's the lone uh, senior finalist. Uh, and normally those guys get in. They just kind of rubber stamp it. But as you know, Drew knows the, the year before when uh, they were inducting the centennial class. It looked like he was going to get in, and he didn't get in after a 37-year wait. And, and check out these these stats on. On, on Drew, who played from 1973 through 83 with the Cowboys. We know the history. We know the big plays he made, 11-year career. But here's the background on this, and, 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 and how he didn't get in yet is still astounds me. There were th- 22 first-team all-decade selections in 1970s. 21 of them have a bust in Canton. The only one that doesn't, it's Drew Pearson. He, he, he's also the only first-teamer that had never been discussed as a finalist, as a finalist after all these years. And check this out. From 1930 through 2010, a span of eight decades, there were 17 wide receivers selected, first-team all decade. 16 of them, they have busts in Canton. And again, Pearson was the only first-team wide receiver not enshrined, and there were six second-team All-Decade receivers from 70s, 80s, 90s. They all have busts in the Hall of Fame, except for Drew Pearson. So this is uh, a long overdue award uh, for uh, for Drew. And I heard an interesting comment, and I don't know. Everson, if you'll agree with this since you've been close, Uh, but uh, Chris Carter uh, was being interviewed on NFL Network, I believe it was, uh, uh, maybe it was Friday, uh, and he, he was another guy that waited a while to get in. And so they asked him, you know, when you finally get in, did you feel vindicated? And he said he said no. He goes, once you're in and you know you're in this exclusive group, it doesn't matter how long it took you to get in, you're in. And he goes, and, and, and you have justification that you are one of the greatest players in the National Football League. And I think he mentioned something like, there's been 25,000 guys to play in the NFL over all these years, and there's only 300, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, 350 people in the Hall of Fame, so it's in a pretty exclusive group. And and as mad as Drew was uh, after being eliminated this previous time, uh, I would think once he's in, he's, he's going to be very grateful.
2: I think he was already pretty grateful, even uh, when he realized he was the only senior guy that was up. He was even smiling then. I think that was around a month ago or so. And it was good to see him smiling in regards to Hall of Fame as opposed to what we would call. You know, when you look at this stuff, and it's, it's always, you know more than I would, Spags, because you're a reporter. I don't know if you're a voter or not, but when you have a team like the Cowboys what is where does the failure come from in regards to recognition drew pearson not only and you may have brought this up there's a lot of stats you brought up Spad. drew pearson was the last not just a first teamer all decade i think all the second teamers got in Mm -hmm. before he did uh at least from the wide receiver position because Harold Carmichael was the second team all-decade wide receiver. And he got in before Drew Pearson uh, just this past time. So it was almost as if it was so glaring of an admission, it, it almost seemed to be personal, of course, as a, cow, a former Cowboy and Cowboy fan. I think You think it's personal by the other Hall of Fame voters. We've always had this uh, rumor that The Cowboys were getting snubbed because the other Hall of Fame voters never liked the American team moniker that was placed on us by the by, I think, Texram or whoever. They have always there's always that 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 belief by Cowboy fans and former Cowboy players. You know, you look at a guy like T.O. Would you say that no matter how long it took T.O. to get in, was he is he actually happy to be in now? Is he a participant? Because when you have your own ceremony, separate from the Hall of Fame ceremony, I think you're making a clear statement. I don't think that has ever happened in the history of voting and accepting Pro Football Hall of Fame bus. So I don't know, man. I, I, I think that Drew's omission is glaring. I can go down the line You're looking at Howie Long in the Hall of Fame versus Harvey Martin not being in the Hall of Fame. You know, those those type of glaring emissions omissions are just too much for me to to ignore. I could start fussing about myself, but I'm not because I'm still upset about the other guys that came before me. That should be in the NFL Hall of Fame. It took Mel Renfro. It took Rayfield Wright to the end of their tenure, am I right, Spag? Yes. To be voted into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Mel Renfro was All-Pro was all almost every year, not to mention the fact that he played in at least four Super Bowls. Rayfield Wright, if I'm not mistaken, was Hall of, he gave up maybe 10 sacks to Roger Staubach or whatever quarterback Cowboys had to their blind side. That's the toughest position. And yet he has to wait till his tenure's Almost up. So I don't understand.
1: Bob Hayes. Bob,
2: yeah, man. I was going to bring up Bob, Bob, Hayes, Bob because you Come know on. what?
0: That, that, was, Come on, that occurred. I want to say it occurred the year the Super Bowl was in Houston. And he made it to the final seven. Uh, it, it was. Uh, and and, and, and he, he made it to the finals and they could have inducted seven guys. Right. And he basically got voted out. He 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 didn't get voted in, and he didn't go. And and excuse me for going down memory lane again, but he didn't get in. No, let's go. He didn't get in (laughs) until the Super Bowl. I believe it was the year the Super Bowl was in Tampa. The next time it was the 2009 uh, January of 2009, and the reason I remember this is Thursday night uh, before the game. Uh, I wrote this column on all the reasons why you want Bob Hayes in the Hall of Fame and how injustice it was that he wasn't in and it was a Thursday night, and um, my mom passed away the day before the game she lived in Florida, and I was fortunate enough to be there. Uh, I went to uh, I was with her when she passed away, and then the game was on Sunday, but Bob finally got selected in. He last played, I want to say it was 1974, 1974. This was 2009. Mm-hmm. Bob Hayes changed the game. and, and, and Changed and, it. And, and the way I looked at the Hall of Fame, it's not all about stats. I can tell you Drew Pearson played 11 years, had 489 receptions, 48 touchdowns, all this stuff. But the job of the Pro Football Hall of Fame is to preserve the history of the game not the statistical history but the history of the game how in in 30 years will anybody remember uh, or we won't be here to tell the story uh, about the Hill Mary about him catching that pass so that needs to be preserved in 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 the pro football hall of fame the same thing with Bob Hayes he changed the game his speed changed the game but There's going to be a point where people that saw him play uh, know what he did, won't be here to relay that story. It needs to be preserved in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I think what happens these days, Everson, is, number one, you're right about the East Coast bias against the Cowboys, and number two, the voting committee has turned over so greatly that people voting now did not see... Guys play in the 70s. They didn't see guys play in the 60s. They might not have seen you play in the
2: 80s. Let me let me interrupt you on that. Let me interrupt you on that, because that is a, a factor, correct? But my thing is this: if you accept, and I think I may have said this on the show, if you accept that position as a younger player coming in, younger writer, reporter coming in, and you're going to be voting on this. You do a disservice to your job and all the other voters around you if you don't do your job. If you don't do your research, that's what you're there for. Oh, well, I can only vote on guys that that I saw play. Well, how stupid is that? Then you shouldn't be a voter. We have access to almost any type of information that we need on this little box thing I got right in front of me. And you're telling me you don't have the ability to go back and do your research. You don't have access to all of the the NFL films that you need to have access to to vote on a Drew Pearson, to vote on a Harold Carmichael, a Rayfield Wright, even go back further than that. That's your job. If it's too much for you, then get out because you got a lot of work to do when you're talking about salvaging these guys' relationship that they fought tooth and nail for, that they shed so much blood for, not just for themselves and for their family, but for their teammates and for this league that the Hall of Fame voters are supposed to be representing. So it's a connection that you can't break. And even, I, I say this, Bags, and I may be out of line, I usually am. Uh, <laughs> when you've got Tex sram and, and guys like that controlling Not just our negotiations and our salaries and our reputation, but you've also got certain Hall of Fame voters for the Cowboys back in the day that was colluding, I guess, with the owners. Sometimes that memory that Tex has, because he had one like a freaking elephant, (laughs) those grudges are sometimes displayed through the lack of Dallas Cowboys in the Hall of Fame. You talk to, I I don't even want to say their names, but they have actually said to me that they have been informed that the the pushback from some Hall of Famers comes from within. So we're being cannibalistic as cowboys. We're eating our own. Let the reins go. Talk about what Harvey Martin did as a player. How many sacks he had. The fact that he had so many, they took away two. If I'm not mistaken, all of these things, to me, are a part of a legacy that is really a shame here in in Dallas. And it doesn't start in New York and East Coast necessarily, Spags. It started right here before we even got to Valley Ranch. That was over there at Forest Lane and Abrams, where I used to (laughs) drive my raggedy car up there to practice every day. So Which was a little bit better than your
0: raggedy bite, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> hey, we got a minute left. We got one minute left. I need, I got one more thing. All right, Everson, go. who's gonna who? Who's going to win the Super Bowl, Brady or Mahomes? <laughs>
2: <laughs> can I just say the Kansas City Chiefs, please? Can I just say that?
0: Can I can I be politically incorrect and just say Kansas City Chiefs? <laughs> judging from the first time what do you they think, Mickey? the first time they met, judging from the first time they met, Tyreek Hill is going to win the Super Bowl. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. In fact, that leads me to my parting
1: comment. Uh, do yourself a favor if you've got NFL Game Pass, and go back and watch the Week 12 matchup between the Bucks and the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, yeah. between Brady and Mahomes. And uh, I mean, that 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 is a great way to prepare for this game. And it's going to be very interesting to see what Todd Bowles has up his sleeve this time instead of maybe the single high safety that Mahomes was facing last time when Tyreek Hill in that game he had over 200 yards receiving in the first quarter of that game which went, and it wound up being now Bowles made adjustments as that game went on and it wound up being a good game 27-24 Kansas City won but I uh, so you're taking the Chiefs everson Mickey yes, sir. you're taking you're the Chiefs, taking who the Chiefs, Chiefs. And I'll take the Chiefs also. So there you go. We're in agreement. Oh, we're and, picking uh, against, we're against here Tom here Brady. Oh,
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're picking against the Bucks. damn it. Everybody stop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, that does it, and, and and I got the score. It's going to be twenty to nineteen. Ryan Suckup's going to miss a field <laughs> yeah, goal right. on the last play <laughs> of the game. <laughs> Thirty years after Scott Norwood. All right, we'll talk at you again next Tuesday here on Mix Shots. Go Cowboys! This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!